She's amazing. I want to I sum up a couple of things. One is, um, or firm up from last week. Um, I was talking about, and I gave the scripture in Matthew chapter 5 where it says, you, uh, but you are to be perfect as, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And we looked at that word perfect in the Greek because the same word in the meaning in Greek is the word complete, that we are made complete in him. So be complete in him. And I was reading, I've been reading a book by uh, Madame Guyon. Uh, those of you that don't know her, she's a woman from, I believe in France, um, but she wrote a book called Experiencing the Depths of Jesus Christ. It was a book that was recommended to me. But listen to what she said. She made the statement, the way to become perfect is to live in the presence of God. The way to become perfect, or could say the way to become complete, is to live in the presence of God. So I have a question for you this morning. I want to start this way. And I'm not looking for a physical answer, so you don't have to raise your hand. But it's something I want to ask personally. And that's, do you have a set-aside time where you spend time in the presence of God in prayer? Now, some people will say, well, I, you know, I pray on the way to work, and I pray while I iron, and I pray while I'm doing this at the house. And I think you should pray there, too. But I want to encourage you, you need to have a time, too, where you pull away, where you unplug, where you position yourself in a place where it's just you and the Father only, nothing else added. Here's why I say that. Jesus pulled away often. He pulled away into the garden. He went up into the mountain. He went out into the wilderness. He, he pulled away. He got on a boat and went somewhere private. Why? so that he could spend time in the presence of God. Now, I would venture to say that his mission is a little more important than ours. I don't know. I, some, some theologians would argue that with me because, you know, we're continuing the work that he started. But his, his job, I'm sorry, I'm still going to say his was more important than us. And so if his was that important and he had the need to pull away to spend time in the presence of God by himself, a set-aside time, how much more do you think we need to have that? So I believe we need to have that. We need to have that time where we set aside. So I, there's a man in my life that's a, he's a father figure to me. His name is Cleddy Keith. Some of you have heard me refer to Pastor Cleddy Keith. Um, and he texted me this last week. And he's someone that I just, he's a general in the faith, and I'm so glad to be in a relationship with him uh, because he sends me stuff all the time. But he sent this to me this last week, and it has to do with prayer. He said, Evan Roberts was the elementary school teacher God used to bring revival to the nation of Wales. Isn't that good news? God didn't use an pastor, apostle, preacher, teacher, evangelist to reach Wales. He used a what? Elementary school teacher. That's good news for all of us because revival comes out of the heart. That means revival is in every single person that I'm looking at in here. Revival always starts with one person. Go back and read the history. It always started with one person. You know, okay, I don't want to preach too much. I don't want to read what he said. He said this. He said, one day someone asked him this question and may his answer be as much a blessing to you as it was to me over 40 years ago. That's Pastor Cleddy. Here, here was the question. Tell me what the secret is to your success. He's talking about the Welsh revival. 
what was the secret to his success. He said, there is no secret. He said, all that is needed is reliance on the great promise, ask and you shall receive. Ask and you shall receive. Pastor Clay went on to say that prayer is the secret of the deeper life. So many Christians want to have a deeper life with God. The only way to do that is in relationship with Him. And you have relationship with Him through prayer. Through prayer, through spending time, through that pulling away, that time of intimacy with Him. This is my favorite part about prayer. When, he, when Pastor Clady said this, it's leapt off of the page to me. He said that prayer is a sin killer. Listen to what he said. No one can sin and pray. He said prayer will make us cease from sin or sin will make us cease from prayer. Okay, prayer, because you asked, prayer will make us cease from sin or sin will make us cease from prayer. What does sin do? I mean, the devil brings guilt, shame, condemnation. What do people do? They back away. They back away from God, back away from the church, you know. Mm, 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 mm. So anyway, so th- this is where I'm taking this. Those intimate times when are, so, are so important because they, they do so much more than just have quality friendship time with God. It's, it's, it does so much more for us when we spend time with Him in that intimate place for one, we're hidden in Christ. We talked about, uh, we just wrapped up our seven-week course on intimacy with God, and we talked about coming from the asking place to the seeking place to, to the knocking place where we were out here in the outer courts into the holy place, and then the holy of holies. This is where we're hidden in Christ. Colossians 3.3, 3, you've died and now you are hidden in Christ. Well, that's the importance of that intimacy time in prayer is I can stay hidden in Christ. When I'm hidden in Christ, I don't want to sin because I don't want to come out of this place. I don't want to be seen by the enemy and I don't want to lose fellowship with God. Now, thank God he's made an avenue back for us, but how many of you want to keep repeating that? And keep going out and coming back in, going out. When God said, no, you can dwell here. You can dwell in this place. So we talked about that. But here's what I've discovered. Is that when people decide that they, think back to when you first sold out for God. When you first made your full-on commitment, you said, I am all in. You pushed everything to the center of the table and you said, I'm all in. I'm all in. That's a poker reference, by the way. Those of you that no, I'm just saying, but you said you, you gave God all of your life. What happened not too long after that? For many people, here's what happens. Pushback. Pushback. Because you've made a quality decision. Now suddenly there's pushback. You're going somewhere. You're, you're venturing out a little too far and the enemy is concerned that if you get out too far, now you'll become a threat to him. But no, he wants to keep you at that salvation line. Just stay right there. It's okay. You can go to church. I'll let you go to church. And let you, I'll, you know, I'll leave you alone for the most part. But just don't do anything crazy like actually believe what the Bible says. 
Don't do anything crazy like actually taking what it says and acting on it. Don't, don't let me, you know, then I might have to come and push back. Because pushback comes in different forms. It comes in through people, through physical attacks, through fear, through situations, circumstances in your life. These are all the different ways that pushback can have, can come. So, so there's the first thing I want to say. Don't be surprised by pushback. Don't be surprised when it comes. You know, because sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. You know, you start serving God. I heard this one guy say this one time. It cracked me up. He said, well, I was doing all right until I got born again. I thought, yeah, doing all right, going to hell. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. And he said, no, but what was he talking about? And he said, because things begin to get hard in his life. See, let me ask this question. Will we only accept the good from God and not difficulty? Because your faith's going to be tested. Your faith is going to be tested. Whenever you step out in faith, the starting part is not the hard part. The starting part is exciting to, in the road to faith. That is thrilling. I mean, woo, we are going, man. You know, the hard part is when you hit the first pushback. Because it's going to test your resolve in the quality decision that you've made to walk it out. So obedience brings opposition. But here's the good news. Whenever obedience brings opposition, then it raises the value of the sacrifice of your obedience. Some of you missed that. So I'll say it again. So obedience brings opposition. So then it becomes sacrificial. And the good news is it becomes more valuable. Now it's a more valuable sacrifice. Did that sink in? Okay, I just wanted to see some head nods on that. All right, so don't be discouraged by pushback. It's not the devil's best hand. It's his last card. Wow, 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 wow. Okay, I will. So... Don't be discouraged by pushback. It's not the devil's winning hand. It's his last card. So, Madame Guyon said this as well. The cross brings me to God, and then he gives me a cross. The cross brings me to God, and then he gives me a cross. Well, so what does that mean? That means that pushback is a good sign, because it means I'm heading in the right direction. I, I used to work, um, I worked part-time for a church for a season that did a, a deal every, every Halloween, and it was, a, it was like a walk-through theater experience that you walked through, and it was designed literally to scare the hell out of you. That's what it was designed to do. I mean, it was, it was a scary, you know, of course, reality without God is pretty scary. And so anyway, he told me, he said, Phil, do you know how the pastor, because we were doing, we were talking about the advertising for the production, and he said, do you know how I know if my advertising is working or not? I said, no, how? And he said, if the Christians call and complain about it. <laughs> Pushback. I must be doing something right. You remember T.L., let me give you another example. You remember T.L. Osborne? Those of you that remember T.L. Osborne, probably one of the greatest evangelists ever. I mean, God used him to, to bring millions of people 
into salvation and into knowing who God was. And one of the things that he used to say, because he got criticized a lot, there was a lot of people that criticized him, most of them ministers, I'm sure. And uh, he used to say this, while people criticize, we evangelize. While others criticize, we evangelize. See, if God's called you to something, you should be so locked into that that it doesn't matter to you if people criticize you you're, you're focused on where God has taken you, the direction that God has for your life. And so you're not looking at people going, don't, you know, trying to satisfy them or, or get them to stop, quit pushing back. Should we only receive good from God? Not difficult things. Pushback is not always to go through. But let me give you an encouraging word. If you're getting pushed back, push on. All right. So let's look at some examples in the Bible. Turn over to Matthew 14 if you're not there already. And uh, I want to look at some examples of some pushback and see how different people responded in that. And the first one we're going to look at is Jesus. So what we're getting ready to look at in chapter 14 is that John the Baptist has been beheaded unfairly. And he was thrown in prison because you remember Herod married his brother's wife uh, and and John the Baptist called him out on it his his brother's wife was was uh, mad at Paul she wanted or, or at John the Baptist I mean and she wanted him dead and a certain situation arose to where she was able to get what she wanted and so this is Jesus response Jesus is just finding out in verse 13 it says when Jesus heard it he departed there by boat to a deserted place by himself where do you think he's gone pray get with his father and it says but when the multitudes heard it they followed him on foot from the cities and when Jesus went out and he saw the great multitude he was moved with compassion for them and he went and he healed their sick so what did he do he retaliated how with compassion he retaliated with compassion think about that Man, you think about this. You think about a person who's caught in a habitual sin. It's a sin that keeps coming around. Because a person gets on fire for God. They start serving him. They go deeper than they've ever done. What does the enemy do? He brings that very thing that he knows has worked in the past. It's that weak spot. He sees that, that thing. He sees where you have a weakness maybe in this area. So that's what he brings. When he gets you on the hook, then he loads up guilt, shame, and condemnation on you, trying to, trying to wreck you and ruin you. But here's what I want you to keep in mind, is, is your pushback is this. You're going to retaliate with compassion. What are you going to do? You're going to serve him with greater zeal. You're going to come to the altar, cry out on the altar, and God is going to forgive you because you confess your sin to him. But once he forgives you, this is not the point in time where you need to take a three-month sabbatical. And say, oh, you know, well, I mean, I'm just, I'm not worthy because, I mean, I keep falling into the same sin. So I can't serve God right now because the enemy's making you feel like a hypocrite. He's putting you in this position of guilt, shame, and condemnation when what you need to do is you need to jump right back in with everything and say God I know I messed it up I know I lost it but I'm all yours 
I'm going back. I'm going to go even deeper. I'm going to push through more. I'm going to have more zeal for you. I'm going to be sold out even more. This is an important word. Listen, it also works in the area of health. One of my favorite um, miracle stories is the story of Dodie Osteen, Joel Osteen's mom. She wrote a book called Healed of Cancer. She was given three weeks to live. Metastatic cancer of the liver. Uh, when her son, who's a doctor, found out what the diagnosis was, he started crying. And um, anyway, she was sent home to die. And she went home and, and she had many people praying for her, many well-known uh, ministers at the time, T.L. and Daisy Osborne, Oral Roberts, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland, I mean others that were praying for her. But she made a quality decision. This is real key. She made a quality decision. She said, I'm not going to live like a sick person. She said, what do well people do? They get up and they go to work. So she got up, she took a shower, she got dressed. She did the hospital visitation. And so she drove to the hospital. Well, when she got to the hospital, it took her a long time to get to that first room because she kept having to stop. How many of you know you walk at the hospital, you go to the hospital? And, she's, and she has to walk and she'll walk a little bit and she would sit down and she would sit on a bench and catch her breath and then get up and go again. And then her husband would have altar calls at, at the church service and people would come forward for healing. And she would, she's told about this one lady that she saw. She went down and she was knelt at the altar and she was believing God for a healing in her body. Dodie came and knelt down with her, put her hand on her, prayed for her. The lady thanked her, got up and left. And Dodie didn't have the strength to be able to get up and go back to her seat. So on all fours, she crawled in her dress back to her seat. This is a woman who was is, who is going after it with zeal. She's not going to allow the pushback of sickness to dictate what her life is going to be. And if you allow pushback to do that, you're going to give up. You're going to call it quits. You're going to give in to the pushback. Let's look at another situation. Turn over to Matt. Yeah, that was over 30 years ago. She outlived her husband, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, turn over to Mark. Mark chapter 5. How many of you are determined to get something out of this this morning? Thank you for helping me. Glory to God. <laughs> I'm believing for it too. Mark chapter 5. <clears throat> And uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse 22. And it says, Behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she will be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. That's important because... As Jesus is walking down the street and all these people are around him and are touching him, this woman with an issue of blood snuck through the crowd and she reached and she touched his garment and she was instantly healed. So when that happened, that happened here between verse 24 and 35. And so Jesus is, she comes to him, she reveals herself to him and Jesus says, go your way, your faith has healed you. And while Jesus is saying that in verse 35, it says, while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? How many of you would think that's pretty final? 
But what does Jesus do? Jesus, as soon as Jesus heard the words that were spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. And so he permitted no one to follow them except Peter, James, and John, the son, the brother of James. And then they came into the house of the ruler of the synagogue and they saw the tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, I think that's awesome. Because what do you do with doubt? You've got to put it out. <laughs> and so, so Jesus goes into the room with everybody else. And, and when he took her by the hand in verse 41, he said, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked. She was 12 years of age. And they, they were overcome with amazement. So pushback can come in the form of hopelessness. It can seem like the end. But let me tell you, and you might be here, you might be facing a diagnosis or a situation that seems impossible. Jesus was the answer then. He's still the answer today. Don't let pushback be your stopping point. Push through. Push on. Amen? All right. I read this scripture this morning and thought it was so good. And the psalmist said in Psalm 27, 13, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You're going to see the goodness of God if you don't lose heart. Amen? How about another one? Let's turn over to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5. Now, Moses is, he's had the privilege that very few have had. God spoke to him in a very unusual way, and nobody's ever seen it since. He set a bush on fire, and it didn't burn. <laughs> I mean, how I many of you have ever seen a bush on fire that wasn't burning? I went to smell, crackle, something, smoke, nothing. It's on fire, but it's not burning up, and then God speaks to him. And God doesn't only speak to him, but he says, I've heard the cries of my people, and I'm sending you to set them free in Egypt. And so God gives him this plan, and he sends him, and he goes with Aaron and his family, and he travels to Egypt. He meets with the leaders of Israel. He shows them the signs and the wonders that God put in his hand to show them, to prove the word. And then he goes in, and Aaron and Moses meet with Pharaoh for the first time. When they meet with him for the first time, they said, here's what the Lord says, let my people go. And he says, Pharaoh responds with, who is this God that I should let your people go? I'm not going to let them go. In fact, I'm going like, to make their life more difficult because you came in and asked that. Obviously, they've got a lot of time on their hands. So now they have to make brick without straw. So he's made their lives worse. And so this is what happens in chapter 5, verse 20. It says, then, as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. And they, said, and they said to them, 
let the Lord look on you and judge you because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Believe me, if they wanted to kill you, they'd killed you already. Verse 22, so Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought this trouble on this people? Why have you, why have you sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, I'm sorry, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, neither have you delivered your people at all. So this is where a lot of people would give up right here at this point. I tried. I tried. I went. I talked to Pharaoh. He seemed like a reasonable guy, but I found out he's not. <laughs> he's not very reasonable. I mean, you know, because oftentimes when God gives us a word, we, we attach a time frame to it for some reason. You know, I've been learning, studying about prophecy lately, and one thing I've realized about prophecy is prophecy is, is very seldom in a time frame where that, that would make sense to you necessarily. Sometimes, because prophecy came, and how many of you know, we still haven't seen that prophecy fulfilled yet. And there have been generations that have passed away. Sometimes prophecy is for, you know. And, and so, so, so some people would give up, and then, and then some people would say, God, they would begin to question the call. Did God really call me? Moses even asked that right here. Why did you send me? He's not necessarily questioning the call, but he's saying, why did you send me here? You guys see it? But what happened? Moses pushed through instead of giving up at the pushback. What did he do? He went to Pharaoh again. God said, I'm sending you back. He went to him again and again and again and again and again. And we saw plague after plague after plague, and we saw Pharaoh harden his heart. We saw Pharaoh not let them go. But then what happened? God gave them a mighty deliverance. Why? Because they didn't stop at the pushback. Yeah. All right. Can I give you one more? Yeah. Can you handle it? Mark chapter 6. Let's go. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, Jesus comes back home. In verse 6, it says, Then when he went out from there, he came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hand? Is this not the son of the carpenter? The son of Mary, brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And are his sisters not here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and his own house. Now he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Rebecca, could you come and help me? He marveled because of their unbelief. Pushback. 
Now, I don't know about you. I, I drove through that little town in Oklahoma. I forget which one it is now that Troy Aikman's from. You go through there, and there's a big water tower, and it says Troy Aikman is from here, you know? And, and I thought, man, you would think Nazareth, they would have Jesus' name on a water tower already, you know? Jesus is from here. You know the miracle worker? You know the one who raises people from the dead? He's from Nazareth. So God brings him to his hometown, his own peeps. And he begins to preach to them. And they get offended because they know him. And what happens? He could do no miracles there. Except just heal a few sick people. Push back, push back, push back, man. It comes in so many different forms. And you can see it littered all throughout Scripture. All the different places that pushback comes. But here's my concern this morning. Is that you've stopped at the point of maybe pushback. That's my biggest concern. Is that maybe you were believing God for something. I mean, it could be related to health. It could be related to a relationship. It could be related to a lot of different things. And maybe you've received pushback. And you've come to that point and you've just stopped and said, Man, well, and you begin to question. Begin to question God, question his word, question the word that you heard, whatever it is. There's, I, I got news for you. There's always going to be pushback. It's going to come. It's going to come. It doesn't matter what you do. There's going to be pushback. Some people just don't want to do anything because they don't want to experience pushback. They don't want to experience persecution. Persecution comes. But we're supposed to suffer with Jesus. Because he has called us overcomers. <laughs> if you were not an over... If, why would he call you an overcomer if there wasn't anything that you needed to overcome? Oftentimes, offense is the very thing that we need to overcome. Sometimes doubt and unbelief is the mountain that we need to overcome. See, Jesus said to say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea. Could be offense, could be bitterness, anger, resentment, disappointment, discouragement. I mean, it comes in so many different ways. Could be in relationships. Could be hurt. Could be family that you're believing for to come back home man I'm here to tell you this morning don't stop at the pushback don't stop at the pushback walk right on through in faith and confidence believing that God has the answer man don't stop there don't stop there don't pull away don't just because you messed up and you sinned don't step way back and suddenly say, I, I can't be involved in anything right now. I can't, God can't use me. Don't suddenly decide that your calling has changed. Your calling doesn't change when you sin or if you sin. Did you know that? No, you come right back here and the posture is on your knees and before God saying, Lord, forgive me and crying out to God. Man, we're in a generation right now where we need to be crying out to God more than we ever have. You need to. You know why many people live in sin? They live 
bound to sin, it's because they don't spend quality time in prayer. When Pastor Cleddy said that, that was a word. I said, that's exactly what happened to me when he said it, that prayer will make us cease from sin. When he said that, I said, man, that's what did it for me. It was all the time that I began to spend in prayer and spend in drawing into his presence. And I remember one time that I did sin. Oh, I don't want to go through that again because now I got to work my way all the way back to where I was. He's a loving God. Please don't take that wrong. I'm talking about his presence and being, being in that place of consistent dwelling, you know. And I don't ever want to do anything that would pull me away from him because he's the one that enables me to live sinless. I can't, you can't live sinless by yourself. You can't do it. It's the Spirit of God that enables us. He's in, he empowers us. How? It's by dwelling and being hidden in Him. Mm. Wow. Well, I want to pray for you this morning. That was all that God gave me this morning. So thankful.